If you go and, uh, and spread your uh, resources on, an, on another type of customer and then you need to develop uh, and then you need to find uh, those new customers and develop even case studies and new technologies and blah, blah, blah. And you find yourself spread thin without a momentum. However, if you add more and more value to your target market, you are creating a momentum and then your competitor find it very hard to compete with you, with your customer base, with the technology that you are providing that is already giving them a lot of the solutions that they need before you added this new vision. So yeah. I'm saying if you are small, if you, are not, if you did not exhaust uh, your current market and you didn't make a decision to move to a new market because your current market is bad or you're exhausted, then don't search outside. Find things that will make your customer happier and, uh, and find how you can make them happier. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools, helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Welcome, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity really to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders and thought influencers, just hearing their, their stories of challenges, successes as they've grown and scaled their business. So today we've got a, a little bit different guest all the way from Israel over here today. So a little bit, I think we said about eight hours around the around the world here. So a little bit different perspective, looking to be definitely a little bit different accent here. So uh, today we have Offer Your Vexel here. And it's, um, I didn't ask you to pronounce the, the company name, so I'll let you do that one there. First, so first off, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your afternoon here to talk with us. Actually, the name of the company should be easy to pronounce. It's just Peppery. Like okay, Peppery yeah. I, Peppery. <laughs> I, I would, that would have been my guess, but I always hate to mess them up right there, so I always make sure I ask. So, so welcome first off, and, and tell us a little bit about the company, what you got going on these days. First of all, thank you for hosting me. Pleasure and honor. Uh, what we are doing today, we are uh, providing a, a complete solution for a product-based company, companies that sell physical products and typically consumer goods. We are providing them a sales platform that can serve them uh, throughout the, all the different uh, B2B sales options, channels, whether they are online or uh, uh, offline uh, traditional sales processes. So we provide the entire platform for that. Nice, okay. So let's say we were talking a little bit before we came on, I would say it's about 12 or so years, 12, 13 years worth of the company now and four different companies or four different countries and over a hundred employees. So you guys have obviously been doing something well here to, to get to this point. Uh, yeah, we were lucky. Uh, <laughs> we started uh, with something you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I seriously think we were lucky with, uh, throughout the process to found uh, the, the right niches for us to hang on and, and grow. And uh, th there is a huge opportunity right now with the Corona actually for us. And yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's been a, 
it's a double-edged sword, obviously, kind of a thing, obviously hitting a lot of people, but at the same time, it, I've talked to a number of business owners that it's provided new opportunities if you can pivot and take take advantage of it. Yep. So uh, tell me a little bit more about the, the company, kind of where did this get started? Was this, what, what was started, the original idea and kind of how did you jump into this? I actually, it started less than 12 years ago. It started around end of 2009. Uh, we were... Uh, uh, the, the initial vision was warranties in the sky, warranties, managing warranties in the cloud. And okay. uh, the idea was back then that using, uh, uh, turning the paper warranties into cloud-based warranties will provide the manufacturer uh, better visibility to their end users, as well as real-time sell-through information all over the world. And we started that with the watch business. Uh, and we had some uh, watchmakers that were using our platform. We did this, we did this uh, until, uh, I would say, 2012. And then portion of the solution, the portion that provided uh, the real-time uh, sell-through information to the salespeople, uh, we decided to design it better for an iPad. It was back then something very new. And then our customer told us mid-2012, we love it, but we want it to work natively. We want it offline. Uh, can you do it? And we did it. Uh, it took us like a quarter or so to do it. But then uh, from 12 customers in one quarter, suddenly putting it on the app store of Apple back then, suddenly we had like 60, 70 customers in one quarter from all over the world. Uh, much smaller, but much easier to uh, obtain. And we decided if it goes so well, why won't we shift over to that? And this was our pivot, basically from a warranties uh, solution to order taking solution on an iPad. Uh, we did that until 2014, 2015, and realized that, yeah, it was innovative uh, to start with, but it will not stay innovative. It's too simple. And we will have tons of competition and prices will go down. And if we really want to survive and grow, we need to expand. And the technology that we developed back then was not suitable for that. So we needed to scratch everything to throw it to the garbage. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and to develop something all from the ground up from scratch, uh, which is much more scalable, much more secure and something that will enable us to work with Android and with any device and on online and offline and not just offline. And, uh, and, and this is how uh, we start. And then we changed the name of the company from warranty to peppery and the new product was peppery. And then since 2015, we are selling this product. Gotcha. Peppery, and it really became a platform that is encompassing all those different solutions from CRM specifically for consumer goods, uh, to uh, merchandising tool, to order taking tool, to B2B commerce tool, to telesale tool, really covering all the B2B needs of companies that are selling uh, physical products. We started with tiny customers and now we have some of the largest com companies in the world in their field, like Dermalogica from Unilever in California who is using us for all those things that I mentioned, uh, like uh, Anycan, like uh, Many large companies in uh, consumer goods, fast moving, uh, and so on and so forth, and expanded to 70 countries. 
Nice. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was like I said, my earlier my background's technology as well, and and hearing just even still, that's that's the challenge, honestly, for, to me being a technology company. That even going back to two thousand nine. The even the hardware, just in terms of the mobile platforms and stuff like that, were just so radically different at that point. It's it's a constant innovation there from a technology standpoint to stay up with the latest devices, latest hardware, latest just everything going forward. Right there, it's it's. I was even talking with a, a guest a while back that was even looking at just the the onboarding kind of infrastructure, even. 10 to 15 years ago, you'd have to be looking at standing up your own server farm, your own uh, stuff like that, your own data center. Whereas now you can jump straight onto a, an Amazon cloud or an Azure cloud, kind of a thing like that. And all you're having to do is the software. You don't have to worry about the infrastructure behind it. Actually, in that respect, we were innovative from day one. We started from day one. We defined that the Peppery would be cloud only and cloud only. And it was like religious for us both internally using internal tools in Peppery as well as in our development. So from day one, the warranties uh, was uh, managed uh, on the cloud, on Amazon from day one. And back then it was uh, not so obvious as it is today. However, you are totally right. I remember back then part of the process was to send a message to the owner of the new watch that he got a warranty. And we say, okay, we'll send it as a SMS, we'll send it uh, directly to a smartphone. Uh, and then people say 2009, not everyone has smartphones. I say, yeah, but it's going to happen. No, but you need to serve people that do not have it. So we needed to do SMSs and we needed to support things that today sounds ridiculous. And we could not count on smartphones as part of the solution back then. Yeah. But this is history. Today, obviously, I would do it completely different than the way we did it back then. Well, that's always the case. Hindsight's always always different, but at the same time, just from a technology standpoint, like we're saying, it's it's constantly changing there. Yep. So how did you, just more, more on your personal side, how did you kind of get into business? Have you always been the, the entrepreneurial type or is this, what, what's, what's your background look like getting into this? I was entrepreneur uh, as a teenage and then I became an engineer after a while and worked as an engineer in several, at the beginning in an engineering company, actually even in Intel in the US. I lived in Phoenix and worked for Intel for like two years. Uh, and then, uh, but then I moved back into entrepreneurship uh, with this company like 12 years ago. I was an executive in some uh, software companies, including president of Enigma in, uh, in Boston for two years and, uh, and several other uh, VP, in uh, MDocs, if you're familiar with one of the largest IT companies in Israel. Okay, yeah. And this was my last position before I moved over. And so what, what, what was that transition like going from, from corporate executive to now starting your own kind of a thing, building from, building from scratch at that point, a much, much smaller organization? Wow, it's such a fun. <laughs> <laughs> this side of it is, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's exciting. It's uh, it's it's everything other than being in a large corporate uh, from all aspect. Uh, and it's it's fun. You know, it's fun when you do things uh, with your own team and you don't have uh, too much reporting to do and much less internal stuff in those large companies. Uh, and without saying anything negative about them uh, that I worked for, uh, at least 90% of my time was dealing with internal things as opposed to dealing with the customers. And today, even 
today I'm dealing at least 50% of my time with customers. This is the way I like to do things and not to deal internally, you know, with my internal stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's honestly really to me more the definition of that corporate mindset by the time you get to that point that it's all just about processes. It's we've got our defined path, our defined lane, everything's what we're doing. And it's just a machine sitting there churning along at that point. You don't have the you don't have the agile nature at this point of, of a, a smaller company that you can do that kind of a major software pivot and things like that. So it's, you give, and there's definitely a place for it. There's, there's definitely a place for those people, but yeah, you kind of being the entrepreneurial type and being the, the visionary type or whatever, I, I, I was right there as well. It, it gets old sitting there being in the office, dealing with meetings, dealing with all this stuff. It's like, okay, I just want to go build something, do something new. Yeah, I was uh, an officer in my Navy also at the beginning in the Israeli Navy for like six years. And uh, I'm always saying it's like managing, a, uh, you know, uh, a destroyer versus uh, a patrol boat uh, that you can really do whatever change and maneuver quickly or you really need to do things slowly. And I've yeah. been on both, by the way, in the Navy, so I know the differences. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I haven't heard that, but no, that's actually a really good description of it there. Cause it's just, you got a lot more, you're, you're a lot more agile with the patrol boat for sure. But at the same time, you don't necessarily have the resources, the defenses, et cetera, of the, of the destroyer either. So you gotta be, yeah. you gotta play both games a little bit. Yeah. So I'm curious, you, you talked about vision with the company a couple of times. What's the, what's the bigger picture vision or how do you, I guess more question is to how do you define vision for, for the business and, what the importance around that? I think you, you are in a constant uh, thinking about how you differentiate yourself uh, midterm and long-term. Short-term, it uh, will not bring you anywhere. Uh, so you're in a constant thinking about how you'll differentiate yourself two years ago from two, two years away from now, five years away from now. If you don't think like that, you will not survive. And I think uh, we were lucky because we made uh, some good changes along the years and we always did them uh, ahead of time. Actually, a great example is uh, the COVID. Uh, like two years before the COVID, we decided that our focus uh, will move drastically to B2B commerce. So when uh, COVID hit us, it was a perfect timing for us. We just launched a new generation of the B2B commerce and it boomed for us, you know, it was like, wow, uh, couldn't, couldn't find a better timing for that. Yeah, um, that, that one I think I'd probably put in the luck category more than anything, but still, yeah, it, it pays off to be lucky sometimes. <laughs> you see, I told you. Uh, but how, I think one of the golf players was saying it, I forgot his name, the more I practice, the luckier I become. Yeah, true, because you're, you're ready for it at that point. It's, it's not... While the, the circumstances obviously are, are somewhat lucky at that point, it's the fact that you're positioned to take advantage of them rather than being completely reactive at that point. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. So looking at when we're talking about what, what's the, you were talking about two year, what's, what's the longer term vision right now of, of Peppery kind of a thing? What's, what's your, what's your big picture goal out there? If, if, if you're willing to share that. Uh, actually, I cannot share our real vision for two years from now, but I can share the short-term vision. The short-term okay. vision, we are expanding what we are doing right now. This year, we have plans to add more features, more, uh, more nice uh, uh, modules that 
that we're missing. We are just launching now an open catalog uh, this quarter. We always had an open catalog, but we are launching one that is way more scalable, actually for one of our largest customer in the US. And uh, so we are launching more modules around the platform, uh, but our vision two years from now will be a surprise. So we, we are expanding to new areas still within our customer base. We are not expanding to new customers in that respect. I, which is, I think, one of the things you always need to ask yourself whenever I'm uh, debating uh, internally with whomever, from investors to the employees, about where the company should go. I'm always saying, before you go to and find new green grass outside, find the vision that will give you more with your current customer. Uh, or with, with, unless you are extremely successful and you're extremely big and you're exhausted your, your market, and then it's a different story. But I think uh, a company like ours is, uh, we hardly touch the potential of where, what we can sell. So we just need to expand the offering for our existing segment that we're targeting and not find new segments. Well, it makes a lot of sense. On on one hand, yeah, you look at the, the the obvious analogy, grass is greener on the other side kind of thing there, but it's your current customers hopefully already know you and love you kind of a thing there. So it's a lot less work to take another step further, provide another resource or something to them rather than to go start a brand new customer base that they don't know you. You're, you're having a marketing, et cetera, from scratch for all of our purposes. This is just the beginning. I think even a bigger factor than that, which you're totally right with this factor, but I, I would say that even a bigger factor than that is the momentum. If you go and, uh, and spread your uh, resources on, an, on another type of customer, and then you need to develop, uh, and then you need to find uh, those new customers and develop even case studies and new technologies and blah, blah, blah and you find yourself spread thin without the momentum. However, if you add more and more value to your target market, you are creating a momentum and then your competitor find it very hard to compete with you, with your customer base, with the technology that you are providing that is already giving them a lot of the solutions that they need before you added this new vision. So yeah. I'm saying if you are small, if you, are not, if you did not exhaust uh, your current market and you didn't make a decision to move to a new market because your current market is bad or you're exhausted, then don't search outside. Find things that will make your customer happier and uh, and find how you can make them happier. No, it, it makes sense for sure. Yeah, you'd much rather have that, that long-term customer kind of thing there, keep building that value rather than a, a short-term quick sale kind of a thing and once and done. So I'm curious... Yep. Um, Looking at just over time, like I said, since 2009 and, and watching the company grow, what's been some of the, the changes potentially to your role or some of the changes in terms of building out uh, the overall team? We said it was uh, 100 plus employees right now. So that's obviously not something that you're wrapping your hands around all of that these days. You're, I'm assuming you've got some things you've handed off by this point. Yeah, I think the challenges is... Uh is always with the biggest challenges is with people and uh, and uh, is really to keep a motivated team that is uh, that, that can take ownership on things and uh, 
and really, uh, you said it right. You know, at the beginning, I was involved in every process in the company, and, and the challenges is part of the challenge for, for me as well is not to get involved and not to think that you are smarter than any of the others and really to take a step backward and let other people manage things that even if you think you're doing it better than them, and in many cases, suddenly you see after a while that they did it way better than you thought and uh, you are surprised. Uh, I think this is the biggest challenge is really to develop a company and a company can only scale if your people are are empowered and, and can really take it away from you. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. In that respect, no. uh, in that respect I, I was very lucky from day one because I'm not alone. I have like three more uh, entrepreneurs that joined me from the get-go and really helping me since day one. So I'm curious what that was like because a lot of times it seems like either the, the partnership works really well or it goes off the rails pretty quick kind of a thing. So obviously it sounds like went well, but was it a uh, as complementary skills, complementary type of type of roles, or how, what would that what that original structure look like there? Yeah, I I, I was always an example. Although I'm an engineer in my background, I was always on the business side, and all other three, two of the other three were always on the technical side, and one of them was actually also a CEO in a company that I was uh, from the get go almost acquired. Uh, and then decided, uh, and then big, he was a CEO by himself and he joined me, but he's very technical. Yeah. So, uh, so all three of them are now taking uh, uh, more technical roles, although they are also pretty much involved in the business as well. But they are, they are, they are way more technical than me. So I, I cannot help them, but they can help me. Let's put it this way. <laughs> well, it's still a good way to do it, but no, it's the fact that you can do it from a complimentary perspective there, because a lot of times I'll see the, the partnerships that I see that don't work are typically almost competing with each other right there, that they're both in the same lane and they don't, maybe they're not covering another area of the company kind of a thing there. So if you can effectively build out that initial team right there, right off the bat to cover your basis, it's, that's the ones that typically I see succeed a lot better. Yep. No, it's, uh, it's crucial. So I'm curious how you tie back the the original idea of vision with the company and even a, a more of a, a mission kind of something to what you were talking about, about empowering the, the team, empowering the people. Is that, do those work together hand in hand within your approach to this or how do those tie together? Sorry, I didn't understand the question. No, no worries. So at least a lot of times what I'm looking at when I'm working with a company in terms of their longer term vision or something, part of the benefit of having that defined out is to get all the people, all the team bought into that where it's not just we're here working for a paycheck. They're actually bought into that mission that they see that longer term vision kind of a thing. And I was curious how that, how those two interacted with each other on your, your side, your vision there. I think it's a matter of, uh, of ownership. If, uh, if you are transparent with everyone and we are from day one company is extremely transparent and, uh, also, uh, we don't have those, uh, you know, like uh, it, it's an, I think everyone feel here very equal in terms of communication. There are no politic, uh, political issues in the company. And I'm dead serious about it. People are telling, I just interviewed today someone and he was telling me there is, and it's, it was not the first one to tell me there is a different feeling in this company uh, in terms of warmness and, and people are staying here for many, many years. 
not just the management. So I think if you are transparent and you are sharing the, the challenges and the opportunities with people and making decision uh, together, although of course, eventually there is a management and there is a CEO and, uh, but at least you explain yourself, even if you're taking a position uh, that is against what the majority thought, uh, then uh, people tend to, uh, to be empowered and to feel, okay, we, we are with it. Uh, so they don't feel like they are working for you. They work with you. Yep. And I think this is the feeling that people have in Peppery. No, and it makes sense because, yeah, the, the more you can get them bought into that, like you said, you've got the longevity at that point. So you can pour the resources into training, whatnot, getting them on board. And, and it's not they're, they're not turning around, taking that to competitor right after that because competitor offered them five dollars more an hour kind of a thing. I think it's also the challenge. People like challenge. Uh, and the challenge in Peppery is amazing because we are competing with some of the largest companies in the world and winning. And when you win a strategic deal against a company that is tens of billions of dollars and you win and you win on your technology, not on price, uh, yeah. then people uh, feel very proud. And this feeling is something that uh, worth a lot of money. If you know, if you compare it, it's not just the money. It's the, the feeling of winning, the feeling of that you do something that is really good that you are doing something that is high quality, that you have great customers. Uh, it's a good feeling. No, I, I agree for sure. And it's interesting you bring up the, the competing against better, bigger companies. So I hear that a lot of times from entrepreneurs that, yeah, we're competing against big corporations. We're competing against the Amazons, et cetera, in the world. But it really, if you've got the, the quality, the differentiator, whether it's the people, whether it's the software, whatever, if you've got those differentiators, you can, you can compete against them honestly, fairly easily right there, as long as you've got your differentiators figured out right there. Yeah, and obviously you need to be against them. You need to really define your offering very, very well and very, very, in a very sharp way, because obviously if it's why they will win you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's again, like you said, you're, you don't want to compete against price. If price is your only differentiator, yeah, you're going you're gonna to lose that one every time. Yep. So I always like coming back, uh, running out of time here, but I always like coming back at the end kind of a thing just to talk about, hey, if you were to look back, most people, most business owners kind of say, if, I, if we had tried this or done this a little bit earlier, maybe things might have been at least a little bit smoother, maybe moved uh, along a little bit faster. If you were to look back 10 plus years it's been, would there have been any, any changes, anything that you would have done differently with the company? I think I would do more or less the same thing, but I will do them faster. <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, whenever you're facing a change, in many cases, you're afraid of the consequences of, of making the change, which makes you delaying your decision process. And uh, one of the things I learned is the more you delay, the more damage you create. So if you run into a conclusion that this is the right thing to do, uh, the consequences of not doing it is uh, a way worse than or delaying it. And so when you need to make tough decisions, make them fast as possible and don't delay them. And it's easy to say it's very hard to do when you need to do something that is against your in current investor, your current employees, uh, and you are afraid of the consequences of doing something like that. 
But my experience, uh, if you make a decision, uh, if you feel that this is the right thing, don't delay. Simply invest your time in thinking hard how to present it and how to do it, as opposed to, okay, let's wait, let's wait, because it can create a damage. No, the damage of not doing it is worse. So to come back to your question, when you need to make tough decision, do them. Yeah. Well, I can see that because even on the positive side there, if it's, if it's a decision about an opportunity, do we take advantage of this opportunity? You anal- overanalyze and take too long with it. The opportunity has gone by at that point. So you've already missed it. So yeah, it's, it's, I forget which one of the personality types, but it's basically a, a decision paralysis, information paralysis, kind of a thing there that I've got to study everything, make sure everything's right, lines up before it happens. And by that point, to your point there, you've already missed it or it's, it's gotten a lot worse by that point, just because it took so long on it. We are all operating in uh, with uncertainties, and uh, you need to go with your gut's feeling eventually. Yeah, that's the nature of business at that point. Uh, there's there's never a, a proven path for sure up in front of us, kind of a thing there. We're, that's, that's part of the entrepreneurial side is we got to be able to make those decisions and, and pivot as, as needed right there. Yep. So I appreciate the time. Um, if people want to learn more about you or about the about the company, Peppery, where, where's the, the best resources to go find you these days? Peppery.com, which is pepper with I at the end. And you can find their case studies with some of those customers that I mentioned. And uh, you can ask for a free demo if, if, if they are from the relevant industry. And uh, we will be happy to. And there is a lot of material there. We have an open API if you're technical. So you can really play with it for free and uh, work with us. Yeah, I, I took a look at the website before we got on here, and it's it's really nice done. And I, I like the like the demo and everything up there. So it's really well laid out. So a lot of good information there. So thank you very much. I appreciate the time, appreciate the insight, and for taking a few minutes out of your your afternoon here to join us. Thank you very very much. Thank you for the opportunity to share the peppery story. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.